everybody, before we start this week's podcast, I want to give you a quick deal alert. Um, Sam has been working on this deal for a couple of months. It is basically six off-the-market townhouses in Ivanhoe. Now, Ivanhoe is a great little area in Melbourne, about nine kilometers from the CBD in the medical precinct. Um, these things are absolutely beautiful, four stories, private garage, rooftop deck, private, beautiful um, quality finishes. There's $869,000. And based on the comparisons that we're looked in the market, that is between forty dollars and $100,000 less than the comparable sales. There's very limited supply. It's a tightly held area where the median price of houses is $1.5 million. For those of you that don't know Ivanhoe or not from Melbourne, I would compare it to maybe a, it feels like a Wallara, but it's kind of like a St. Ives Warunga vibe, big houses, very leafy, but um, it's similar proximity to say Marrickville. Beautiful area. Sam, I'll shut up. Can you tell us a little bit more about why clients should be getting in now and um, yeah, why you like it? Yeah, sure. So um, like I said, Dom, the um, the proximity to the CBD is just about nine kilometres out um, and is equivalent to just say um, uh, to Marrickville. The fixtures and finishes are, are quite high. Um, and also the, the incentives that I've been working with the developer the last couple of months have finally come into fruition. So um, I, I think it's time to jump uh, to jump on these because at the moment the government stamp duty incentive is um is 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 going to expire on the on the end of this financial year so right now if you were to buy this it's at forty thousand dollars of stamp duty um but if you were to jump on before the end of this financial year you could possibly save that twenty thousand dollars in um in stamp duty um savings so um, there's that incentive and also the further incentive of $20,000 from the developer. So that takes it up to 40K. Um, and to just touching base on from an investor's point of view where the supply of the area uh, for townhouses of this quality, of this kind of product is very low. I mean, by all means, go online and, and see it for yourself. There is actually nothing online. Um, Everything is about the million dollar range. So um, I think this is, this is a really, really good opportunity. Yeah, I agree. So, Sam, thanks for getting that site. I'm very excited. Off the market, we've got six. Um, inquire with the team. Sam is taking the lead. Louis all over it. The team have created an amazing presentation. Uh, we'll be sending some drone footage up so you can get up close and intimate with the site uh, and understand it. It is completing in September this year, so it's nearing completion. If you want to know more, reach out to the team and enjoy the rest of the show. Hey guys, Dominic Nesha here. Today we are with the great Kent Lardner from Suburb Trends. Hi, Dom. Thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you. Now, I first met this gentleman, I didn't meet him actually, I was listening to you on another podcast um, and I was captivated by the way you interpret data, the types of data sets that you use and I really appreciated some of the analysis that you were making with, with regards to property markets, how you, how you saw those markets moving. And I immediately reached out because I wanted to have a chat and see if we could tap into some of that genius and bring you onto the show. And you were so gracious to, to join us today. Thank you. Yeah, well, thanks for the feedback. And uh, I haven't invented a lot of these things. They're just, I've stolen them from the United States and 
the main one being uh, inventory analysis, which I think is the one you're referring to mainly. And, and it's a, the perfect way to capture demand and supply. And, and it's been widely used in the US for at least 15 years, but it hasn't made its way to Australia. And I couldn't fathom why. I still can't fathom why, but uh, I think bit by bit, especially through podcasts, it's getting out there. The message is getting out there. Now, for all of you out there, inventory demand is a very interesting way of thinking about property because, and Kent is going to jump into it, because, you know, in Australia, we talk a lot about um, demand. We want to know what is driving demand. We talk a little bit about supply, but it's a difficult number to try and get our hands on. Um, but I think it's mo- most poignant that you you use this this ratio or this number to tell us how a market is going. Um, you know, we're going to jump all over the shop today, but can you tell us or explain to us what it is, how it works, and why it's such a key indicator of the long-term health or growth of a suburb? Yes. Uh, so there's two metrics to it that make up a single measure. The first is how many listings there are. And what we're looking at is, well, how many listings would I find on a typical day in a given month? So what's the average number of listings I'll find in the suburb? And typically you'll find in some of the smaller suburbs, that'll jump around a fair bit sometimes, but usually it will average out quite well. So we're looking at the total number of listings. The second thing we're looking at is the total average sales per month. And that does smooth out. You can do that a few ways. With a lot of these metrics, you can slice them and dice them a number of ways. So typically what we're doing is saying over over a rolling 12-month period, what would be the average monthly sales volume? Now, we've got those two measures and what we now create is an inventory. The inventory metric is typically 100, say if I've got 100 properties for sale and 10 properties selling per month, 100 divided by 10, 10 months of stock. So what we get from that is a few different things. The first thing is a snapshot of where the market is right now. And the second thing, and Dom, you mentioned it earlier, is that trend line, that long term. And what you get from that is obviously where is the market heading? Are inventory levels going up? or are they trending down? So those two metrics together give you a really, really strong insight into the market conditions. Now, what, what struck me about that when you first spoke, when you first spoke about or when I first heard about it rather, was you were talking about a particular market and that was Canberra. And I, I don't know what the specific inventory numbers were, but you said that the ratio was about 1.2 or 1.1 or something along those lines. Yes, ACT generally is nuts. It's well below. It's been below two months of stock or two months of inventory for a very, very long time. And usually, what you'll find, or what I found with my analysis, is the longer you stay below that three or four month mark the more pressure there is, upwards pressure on price. There's a very strong correlation, not just to the static as to where it is now, but how long it stays low for as to how far the prices can go up. And in in many cases, you can actually model on that. So I want you all out there to give that a really good think. And and, and, um, I was struck by it because if you're thinking about a market and you know that at any given time, that market has... 50 units or 50 apartments and, and houses and, and in, in total in aggregate there's, there's 50 pieces of stock but every single month they're selling 50 pieces of, of you know apartments houses townhouses that means every single month they're clearing out everything that's available so you need to keep on listing that amount and if you don't then there's going to be a huge amount of demand relative to the supply 
and you're going to see prices grow. That's what really captivated me. And you find out if you're having a look at other markets and you can see, hey, as you said earlier, there's um, 100 and we're only selling 10 a month. 10 months of stock. So I think you've summed it up perfectly. It's, it's a, a, the hypothesis is that if no other property came on the market, if no property listed ever again, how many months would it take to clear out what's for sale today? And that's the answer. And if you will clear out all of that stock within three months, you've got a pretty tight market. And a lot of the people listening are, you know, wealth creators, people that are just at home sitting in front of the laptop, you know, on domainrealestate.com. How do they get... How do they get a, an idea on, on this ratio? How do they get their hands on it? Can they do it themselves? Is it only through you? And, and what what do they have to lean on? Yeah, well, I collect it. Um, so I've, I've made it my key metric. So it's available through my site if you come through. Um, I've also got a, a site devoted specifically to the investor class. Uh, that's called The Property Nerds. So we I can serve this data up a couple of different ways. Um, so, yeah, um, I think for a lot of people who wanted to do it themselves, they can as well. The formula would be uh, look at how many properties are listed. You need to average that out. Look at how many properties are selling on average and you can calculate this yourself. Okay, it's just going to take a lot of time, dedication. <laughs> Otherwise, you could go to Suburb Trends or th- to the Property Nerds, is that correct? Correct. That's awesome. And can you tell us a little bit more about uh, Suburb Trends um, and what you're doing over there and, and you know, how this business came about? Yeah, Suburb Trends, I, I went down a, a rabbit hole uh, a couple of years ago that I really I, you know, I backed away from, which was creating some websites for agents. And it was the wrong path for me. It wasn't really where I wanted to go. Where I wanted to go was to create content because I think we've all seen that the key trend is that uh, people are struggling to create quality content. If you're a real estate agent, for example, you are struggling to get that content out there. So if you sit on some of these forums or tune into Clubhouse, you hear what people are saying, that content is the big driver, the big issue. What do I share? How do I share it? Where do I get it from? So my big focus is creating content, specifically content for social media sharing, but also for creating specifically suburb pages or or suburb profiles. So there's the, they're the two things I've been doing of late, and that's my primary focus, and that's my passion. And what in your in your uh, passion in creating content, what do you think or feel, or what are you seeing that people want to know the most, and what what content are people gravitating towards the most? Yeah, it depends on who the audience is. So if it's a local, um, so typically if you're a real estate agent and you're trying to communicate to a seller or a potential seller or a vendor, uh, they're interested in their own suburb. So yep. hence suburb trends being that my theory was that everyone's interested in trends that impact their suburb. So that's where the name came from. So very much I'd say that you've got the investor class, which I think if I were to kind of throw a blanket over the investor class of people, they love maps more, more than anything. They love a map. They love heat maps. They love to compare and contrast markets. If you look at the owner-occupied uh, potential vendor or um, p- potential future listing, they're very much in- interested in their own suburb and their own property. And what's happened now, you know, everyone's taken the, the leaf out of the Zillow book. Uh, everyone's creating automated valuation models and serving those up for that reason. Um, so it's pure mu- pretty much morphed into a lead gen tool and that is all about content for your property. Very interesting. So, so from hearing you correctly, Suburb Trends is primarily for agents and, and it's for b- businesses that are in property 
and um, they're looking to serve up good quality content to their audience, be it investors, owner-occupiers, um, and it is focused around suburbs and understanding those markets intimately. Exactly. So uh, serving up uh, data visualisations. So there's a lot of data viz, uh, charts, etc. cetera. Uh, heat maps are a biggie. And a new one I've just released is actually specifically for New South Wales is the New South Wales government made all the sales data freely available. So it's hard to consume. So what I've done is I've taken it, I've refined it, and I've put it into a map so you can effectively view a map with all the the map points on it. Now, you can get that today on Domain or REA, but you don't want that on your own website with all the other competitive agents, logos and whatnot. So what you can do as a a real estate agent is put create your own map of all the sales but not display anyone else's brand. You just focus on your own branding. So you said the government's released this data. Is it on a government website or is it? It is, yeah. Yeah, so the government made this available a couple of years ago. So... All the New South Wales sales data is now freely available and updated weekly. And where's that? So um, I don't have the URL top of mind, um, but uh, if you do a bit of a Google search, it it is hard to find actually. So what I might do is I'm going to send you the link and you can put it on your show notes. Yeah, Jenny, we'll we'll cut it into the show and and we'll we'll have it out there available for all all of you. And... And can we talk a little bit more about suburb trends and about the data that you like the most? Um, so what are your key data points? What are the things that you tend to gravitate towards or you feel are most indicative of what's happening in a market? And, and I preface this with, with, I know that you don't like to point to any one point or one data point because it doesn't tell a story. It's about a holistic view and a number of data points are really start to paint a picture. Exactly. I, I like to take multiple angles or u- use different data points to paint that holistic picture. If you look at one variable alone, most people, for example, have just focused on medians, which is just awful. So if you look at a suburb level median, it will jump around and not tell you the whole picture because it's full of compositional bias or it's incorrectly sampled or it's a small sample or the distribution's odd. Can you explain median a little bit? Yes, I think it's a great thing. So the median is the middle value. And if you look at a a suburb, I'll I'll go down to Melbourne, for example. If you go to um, Turak and you look at the uh, home unit market, there's four distinct distributions. There's four very distinct price brackets that exist in Turak for units. So you've got units that sell above 3 million, you've got a cluster of units that sell between six and 800 and stuff in between. So relying on a median for somewhere like Turak for units is really, really risky, really unreliable because it bounces around depending on what's sold. We're pretty much, we're sitting near Redfern, right? In Redfern. Redfern's another great example where uh, if you go back a year ago, there was a handful of very, very expensive, very large apartments that sold. And that type of stock hasn't been selling in the last few months. So what's happened to the median? The median's gone down. Does that mean that Redfern market is performing poorly? No, it doesn't. It's what sold a year ago is very different to what's selling now. And this is a common problem in Australia right now, especially in some of those suburbs like Carlton that have been flooded by bedsits that weren't flooding the market a year ago. Bedsits? the stuff that the students were staying in when we had students. Ah, uh, yes, yes, yes. Okay. So you've seen the median price go down. Exactly. So the problem you've got with median is if it's not statistically significant, you're in trouble. If there's a different a composition of what's selling between the two periods you're comparing, 
that will also cause you a big problem. If the distributions are all over the place, that will cause you a problem. So the trick for me is to look at the median for a suburb purely as a snapshot but not as a time series trend-based element or, or analysis. What I like to do is zoom out and look at what's called a statistical area three. So it's very similar to a local government area, but it's a, it's a broader area defined by the Australian Bureau of Statistics. So you've got a, a big enough sample size so that the median behaves itself and it looks like the bell-shaped curve. So can I ask another question about the median? Because I think it's very important. When, when people are seeing statistics and they're saying, hey, this suburb grew by 15%, are they normally looking at the change in the median house price? They are, and it can only work and only make sense in a few cases. So typically what you want is a suburb with lots of sales, yep. and what you want is a suburb with homogeneity, um, because if you've got a, you know, Redfern, pick on Redfern again, if you've got one of those situations where you've got a cluster of these very luxurious large apartments that sell a year ago, and then they're not available now and they're not listed. They, if they're not listed, they can't sell, therefore they can't be captured in today's median price. So you really need to be very careful, especially when you're looking at suburb-level medians, whereas if you roll that up into a broader region like an SA3, you've got that bigger mix and you've got a, a more normal distribution. So you can rely, generally I can say, you can rely on an SA3 median through time. And does that, that's probably why we see, uh, and this is why I think you can't necessarily rely upon, one, historical data that you're pulling out of magazines, and two, what you're seeing in the news or different reporting, because just because you see a regional centre jump by 23% doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be a top performing market for the next seven years. That's true. So back to the original question, what are those two, two key metrics that I love? Mm. Uh, I, I like them both because they're leading indicators. The first one being inventory, and you've got two elements to that or two dimensions to inventory. What is it today and what is it through time? So what's been that long-term, medium-term, short-term trend or delta when it comes to inventory level, which is a terrific lead indicator as to where prices will go. And the second metric I love is vacancy rates. Vacancy rates. Yeah. Can you explain more about why vacancy rates? So vacancy rates is a great lead indicator for what's happening in the rental space. Now, again, like everything else we're mentioning, it's not a single metric that I like. I always like to balance it out and look at days on market, for example. So if I'm picking on, on rentals, I like to look at vacancy rates. I like to look at where they are today, but where they were through the last few months and what that trend is. And the second um, uh, dimension of the data I like to look at for rentals is days on market. Days on markets for rentals in particular? Correct. Okay. So you want to see how the days on market changes over time and that'll tell you uh, how volatile or how, how liquid that market is? Correct. And rentals are great. You know, they move fast. The market clears fast. It's a, you know, ex with the exception of a few things that's happened recently with moratoriums and whatnot, where governments have been intervening and not letting markets act as markets. Once you get the hand of the government out, rental markets are, are, are really pure. They move fast. And what do you think about days on market for uh, sales figures? And, and, and how come you don't look at that? I, I do look at it. So again, with a lot of things, uh, I like to look at the distribution of prices. Uh, so that's a biggie. I like to look at the distribution of prices at the suburb level and the SA3 regional level. I like to look at the days on market, uh, but specifically with days on market, uh, my biggest concern is 
it's hard to measure in some locations. An example would be a lot of the new housing uh, areas, house and land areas, a lot of the new apartment stuff. Those are markets where days on market I find a little bit harder to measure and it breaks away and does not correlate to inventory. So uh, that's a bit of a, a, an interesting thing to say, where is there a divergence between these two metrics or three metrics or whatever? And sometimes that difference gives you another insight. Okay, that's very interesting. So there's a lot of data to sink into in order to really get a true and accurate understanding. But the ones that you like is to check out uh, the stock, how much is available and how that clears, and then vacancy rates for rental. Correct. And can this is a, a, a point right now that's especially um, important and, and people put a lot of, uh, vest a lot of interest into it, but uh, auction clearance rates. Do you want to have a chat about that and what your thoughts and opinions on that space are? Yeah, there's um, several people collecting that now, so I've deliberately stayed clear uh, of clearance rates, pardon the pun. Um, but I think the, the problem I've got is there's been a few people start to pull, pull, put some holes or poke some holes in the way these things are measured. Um, so, again, if you start to look at auction clearance rates down to a suburb level, the samples are too small. The samples are really small. So I think what you really want to do is roll it up and look at it at a city level mm. more than anything. Uh, and that's good. It's interesting. I think why people are most interested in uh, auction clearance rates, I think, is because it's a good Monday media opportunity. And it's being it's primarily there for media purposes. And, and taking the media and stuff out of it, why is it important? Why should people look at auction clearance rates and what, what value do you get out of that as a measure? Yeah, look, for me, auctions have always been an indicator of how hot a market is. Um, so there, there are traditionally more properties going to auction when the market is hot. Uh, the other advantage of auctions, obviously, is that they're a pure insight into how a market's going and what price should be set for a property. And and it's analogous to a situation in a lot of the country or regional areas right now where a lot of real estate agents, and this is just a theory I've got, is that they are not setting a, a true market price because they're looking at what's sold, their frame of reference as being local buyers and a splattering of out-of-town buyers and what's been happening over the last 12 months. And what's happening right now is a lot of Sydney-siders or, or Melbourneites are moving out, moving into some of these regions, and they're pushing prices up. But effectively, these um, they're making offers on properties that are being taken off the market within a week or two. Um, and I would argue that they're probably falling short of the true market value. If that went to auction, it would have gone for a lot more. That's interesting. So you're saying that... Um there are some savvy purchasers out there that are pulling properties off the market before they go to auction because if they were, they'd go for more. Yeah, and there's surplus. There's, there's excess money in the pockets of these people exiting Sydney. So, you know, they're willing to spend an extra 50, 100, 200K above what a local buyer uh, would spend in one of these regions uh, because they're sick of travelling. And is that a, um, a strategy in, in your mind where if you're going to be buying something in this market, buy it before auction, don't let it get there? I think the answer to that would depend on every market and every suburb's a unique market and every property in every suburb. So it really depends. If the market's hot, sometimes it can work, especially I think it can work quite well in a lot of these regional areas where um, 
we're starting to break records and, and that's the, I think that's probably the key. If I'll pick on one thing, if it's a suburb that's starting to break records, that strategy can work quite well. Okay. That's, that's, that's an interesting insight. I've, I've said that for a while in hot markets, don't let it go to auction. Emotions will start to flare <laughs> and it's better to be a little aggressive and take it before it goes. Um, and, you know, you are creating heat maps. You're watching many markets and, and you've got a broad idea on what's happening. What are some key markets that you've got your eye on that you think are good investment opportunities? Well, um, whether they are a good investment opportunity long term from this point forward, but what they have been in the last six to 12 months have been markets like Canberra, markets like Hobart, markets like the commutable distance locations, those regions such as uh, Central Coast, Gosford. They've all done extraordinarily well. So the question is, what's going to happen post-jab? And I don't think I've got the perfect crystal ball as to what happens post-jab. Um, so that I, the reason why I didn't answer that directly is, is I'm not sure about what's going to happen <laughs> in, in our society with the jobs market. I don't really know what's going to happen there and I don't really know what's going to happen to the people who may seek to flood back into the cities. I really haven't got a view on that. So if I put that to one side, the markets that have been really interesting are some of these, I'd say, commutable distance regions um, have been fascinating. Um, Gosford's a great example. I was looking at it and it had some relatively high vacancy rates a couple of years ago. Now vacancy rates at a, a crisis level. What's a crisis level? Below 1%. Okay, that's interesting. So if you're looking at a market and you can see the vacancy rates are less than 1%, is that also an indication then of where prices will go if for, the for sales? Yeah, so if the inventory levels are, you know, so it becomes the perfect storm. So if inventory levels are trending down and, and are currently below three months, if vacancy rates are trending down and are below 1%, that leads to a very, very strong prediction for the next 12 months. And what kind of strong prediction? What, what does that, what does that, what's a strong prediction? What does that look like? I've still got some uh, suburbs, some regions uh, forecast in excess of 10% for wow. this year. Yeah, and that's just, the, so that's using machine learning. The thing with machine learning, a lot of these models, you can't see around corners. So you're using data that's typically... Uh, the data that we know as of today, it's effectively what you've got to make the assumption is if I'm using data, as long as the data going into the model tomorrow doesn't go above or below the, the ranges of data that I'm using today, then it should be okay. As soon as it steps outside of those bounds, all bets are off. Okay. And, and you're really looking at the... The, the, the shorter term, these predictions are for the immediate future. Yeah, I, I'd almost argue that, oh, I, I learned this, I remember it was Kerner, Kerner was the, um, uh, the uh, head, head of the state in Victoria back in those days. So it was a period where Victoria dipped, or Melbourne dipped in price, I think it was the late 80s. Anyway, um, I looked at the long-term trend line and suddenly I got an insight into it. What happened down there is the market dipped and had a bit of a recession, a state-level recession. But then what happened is as soon as the government changed and Kennett got in and started to make some reforms, everything accelerated up back to the long-term trend line. And it gave me a whole new respect for the long-term trend line. Mm. So if you kind of look at the market and say, well, where's it been trending over the last 10 years or 15 years? 
Yes, you can have some dips, but usually it will regress back to the long-term trend line. I don't have anything better or more significant than that. So the long-term trend line, can you can you talk a little bit more about that and, and what that is and, and, and what's the mix? How does it come about and why is that important? Yeah, so um, again... I'd look at it more at a regional level or a city level, and and you've you've got this foundation growth rate. You've got you've got short term fluctuations, and you've got this long term trend line, and that's what regression is. It will regress back to that long term trend line. Now, a lot of, of assumptions have to hold. Will uh, will immigration rates um, stay the same? Uh, will the economy growth rate? Will GDP stay the same? Etc. So. You need to make a, quite a number of assumptions that things are going to stay the same as they have over the long term. If you can make those assumptions, then you can pretty much safely bet that the housing market will stay along those long-term trend lines. So accounting for or being aware of the bigger macro influences uh, being aware of how that market has performed over time relative to those bigger forces. And if you've got some certainty around how those forces are currently at play and will continue to be, then that macro trend line is uh, a good indication of how that market will perform over the long term. Yeah, and I think that's as good as it gets from my perspective. You know, whereas you can build some pretty decent models to predict what the market will do in one year's time, maybe two years' time. But again, they don't see around corners, these models, and they're grossly overfitted, as the saying goes. So these machine learning models really work well within, say, a year, predicting a year out. But once you get outside of that, I like to just fall back and look at the long-term trend line and say, well, that's the most likely thing that will happen over the, over the long term. And with that as a question, um, I want to follow up with how do you think the market's going to perform over, you know, the next couple of years? How do you, do you think it's going to keep on growing at the same rate it is? And, and what do you see for the future and why? Yeah, for the next 12 months, I can continue to see this type of growth that we're seeing today. Um, so for the next 12 months, the only question I've got and the only doubt I have is where some of these areas start to detach themselves in terms of the affordability ratio. Now... Uh, that's an interesting metric. It's something we always like to respect. However, uh, it's a measure of household income. And if you've got some of these areas that are full of uh, retirees or pensioners and whatnot, the average is, draw, is uh, you know, brought back or influenced a lot by that particular part of the, um, the local community or the suburb or the region. So I think what you've got to think about is the, uh, the income level of the people buying the houses is the important metric. And my biggest concern is wages have not been growing. So can this stuff be sustained uh, going forward, especially if interest rates are starting to nudge up? And I think all the leading indicators are that we're probably bottomed out on interest rates. They probably won't be going backwards. They'll probably be going upwards. At some point in time. Yeah, yeah. So I look at it and say, well, if we don't have wages growth and we have no room to move going further south when it comes to interest rates, will we keep inflating the way we are? I read an interesting article the other day, I can't remember the gentleman that wrote, uh, wrote it, where he, he basically said that since 2017, the property market effectively did nothing. It's only now starting to 
go above the, the, that, that rate there. Uh, it's now starting to exceed the previous boom times. But from then till now, we've seen wage growth grow by about 3% or something. Mm. So it's not a huge amount. It's not. But over that time period, we've seen a little bit of wage growth, no property growth, and now we're at that point where the market's starting to outperform certainly wage growth. Um, can I ask you, in your opinion then, do you think that this affordability question will then point people back to properties they can afford? I think that's already happening. I think the drive to a lot of these commutable distance locations is probably twofold. People getting out of a smaller apartment and moving into a house, into an affordable house, mm. and people moving uh, out of uh, the, the city markets either downsizing in terms of house size or downsizing in terms of mortgage size, pocketing that surplus and moving to a commutable location an hour or two away. That's interesting. So when I think about that, it's another long-term trend, you know, that, that, that hasn't gone away. It's, it's one of those world city trends. I say it all the time. I lived in New York. I've lived in London. People in New York don't are not deluded enough to think that they can live in Manhattan or buy in Manhattan. Yeah, they move out. They go to Connecticut. They go to Jersey. And why would you? I mean, if unless you're wealthy, why would you settle for a one percent yield? And and that's the argument that I think many Aussies need to become, especially in Sydney, specifically in Sydney, they have to become accustomed to hey, just because your parents lived in Five Dock or you know, Bondi or wherever, doesn't necessarily mean that you can buy or live or afford there. You're going to have to travel 30, 40, 50 an hour away. Yeah, and look, things changed. Uh, I've been working from home for 15 years and the the Zoom phenomenon, uh, it, it created a shift and now it's normal for me to jump on a Zoom call. Uh, it wasn't normal a year ago. No, absolutely not. Absolutely. I mean, you... you it, it was the old adage you wanted to sort of see the whites of someone's eyes but shake their hand as well. And look, I get it. I, you, you, I went down to see the Real Estate Institute of Victoria last week in Melbourne and you, it was very different doing the face-to-face thing, investing a day, um, you know, spending time. I get it. But I don't need to do that every day. I can do that once every two weeks. I completely agree with you. Kent, thank you very much for your time today. Uh, I know that you're a busy man. You've travelled all the way from Newcastle to be here this morning um, and, and we appreciate that. Thank you. You got to sample some of the local coffees and, I, and you, you reported back that some of it was good. I know this area all too well. Yeah. All too well. Ken, I hope to see more of you. We're going to uh, subscribe to some of your data. We love the, the, the analysis that you're doing. Um, and yeah, we'd like to hear from you again. And um, thank you very much. I look forward to coming back. Thank you. We'll catch you all. I hope you've enjoyed today's show. If you have any questions for Kent, please let us know. And um, we hope to see you all soon.